When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Beth Capici, and welcome to the Never Perfect Podcast. I'm a psychologist, and I believe that embracing the fact that no aspect of life is perfect actually makes us happier and healthier and motivates us to achieve more. It also helps us become more real and compassionate with ourselves and others. In my counseling office, I deal with a little bit of everything. So in this podcast, you'll also probably be hearing a little bit of everything. Not only professional advice, but also some of my favorite and least favorite personal stories. I'm also going to be interviewing people who are brave enough to share their stories with us. I believe that everyone has a lot to teach and a lot to learn no matter what their background is and in spite of their imperfections. You don't have to be perfect to be inspiring. Today, I have a special guest with me, and I'd like to introduce her. She is a new friend, and her name is Christy Titsworth. Hi, Christy. Hi, Beth. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We had a really fun lunch a week or so ago and talked all about a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to pick her brain. She is a nurse practitioner. And she was in primary care for quite a few years. She can explain the, the length of all that later if she wants to. Um, did pediatric nurse practitioner work. Um, and then she did neurofeedback. And she's going to talk a little bit about that. Sort of like brain mapping type mm-hmm. of stuff, would you call it? Yeah. And then she went back to get a specialty in psychiatric field. And now she is doing psychiatric work as a nurse practitioner and she has her yoga certification, (laughs) which is really cool. I would have been very tempted by that years ago until I heard it took like nine months. It's a slow process, but most things we need time to integrate. And so things don't always come quickly. Mm. And I appreciated the process of that training because it was so different than any traditional training I had done. So it made my brain work in a different way. And sometimes we get what we need instead of what we want. That's amazing. Well, I love all of the complimentary angles that you have and all the information that just kind of builds and feeds into every piece like from the medical to the psychiatric to the yoga training it's all so cool and i'm just excited to be able to pick your brain about so many different aspects 
And uh, a couple of quick things about Christy before we dive in. She also is married with two kids. Mm -hmm. I guess you could consider them adolescents. Of course, the 14 and a half year old is. 10 year olds verging on that. She acts adolescent, so. (laughs) She totally acts like it. So you've got two adolescents. I have two adolescents. (laughs) So we have a lot in common. Um, As you all may know, I have three kids that range from 15 to 12. And so we were talking about some of that before we got started today. And Mm -hmm. that could be a topic on um, compassion fatigue (laughs) at some point. Yes. Uh, Because kids are such a full-time job. And of course, being in the healthcare caregiving type of profession, it's another level of giving and, um, So we will get started and we can figure out which direction we want to go. So where would you like to start today? Hmm. Hmm. Where to start? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, I think that, you know, what you said, thank you for the introduction. And, and I think that we all bring our human experiences to the table. And so I value everybody's human experience. And mm-hmm. if we can take those things and we can piece them together, that's what it's about. It's it's to me, what I do is more about humanity and helping humans be the best that they can be um, and be as functional as they can be rather than really looking at a diagnosis or what medications they need. Um, it's more about the humanity. And so I think that when we step away from the the sole medical approach Mm. Um, and we add, we sprinkle other things in, um, but at the same time remain true to evidence and science. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think it's possible to do that. Then I think that people benefit from bringing anything that we can to the table. I love the way you described your emphasis on helping people understand their functioning and just how they're doing and not Oh, I'm working with five individuals with ADHD and five with anxiety and 20 with depression and five with bipolar. And, you know, the diagnosis isn't really the emphasis for you at all, is it? No, it's really not. Um, And the diagnoses can look so different. I mean, I can take, you know, 10 patients who have ADHD and 10 patients who have anxiety and 10 patients who have depression, and I've got 30 different presentations. Mm. And anxiety and ADHD have overlaps and anxiety and depression have overlaps. So it's very limiting to just put a diagnosis to somebody and then try to manage them in that way. You really have to take into into account the humanity of it. And I think that the neurofeedback work that I did really helped me to kind of see that visually. Mm. Um, Because in neurofeedback to Neurofeedback is biofeedback, which is driven by EEG waves. Mm -hmm. So the electrical activity that is produced by the brain Mm -hmm. um, as the neurons communicate. Mm. So when you do a brain map, um, there's 19 different leads on the on the head and meaning like electrodes, mm -hmm, electrodes, wires, there's no input. So I'm not shocking anybody. Mm, Only output (laughs) only. (laughs) That's all. And so it's just measuring the electrical activity that's happening underneath the surface. Mm. Um, 
it's it's a rudimentary value. Um, it's different than the EEG that the neurologists use. They look at the raw waves. Um, the QEEG is a quantitative EEG, so it's almost like putting um, a prism in front of the EEG. Hmm. And then you, you take a rainbow, and instead of getting the whole rainbow, you split it into the colors. Hmm. So with the brain waves, if you split the brain waves into colors, you split them into the different types of waves. So that's what the QEEG does. Is that the waves you were talking about earlier, like alpha, mm -hmm. beta, gamma? Exactly. Okay. So the different types of waves are associated with different levels of consciousness. So we have delta waves that are sleep waves. They're restorative. Mm. And so these are the deepest, deepest waves. And they're not useful for being engaged, but they're absolutely necessary to rest and to restore the body. So if you don't get a good night's sleep, then you're not regenerating with those delta waves so that the brain can be as functional as it can be. Wow. It's interesting how many epiphanies i've had recently that i laugh and go i should have thought of this years ago realized this years ago but when you're sleeping your body is restoring every aspect of yes. itself even the neurochemicals yes. and the neurotransmitters yes, yes. And, and our memories consolidate in our sleep mm. so if we don't sleep then we're not able to remember and not just that's not just applicable for school or for work, but just for life, because we think about learning from our own patterns. And if we're not sleeping, it's more difficult to learn from our own patterns. Mm. Well, and that brings me to something we're both passionate about. I know from our conversations, if people understand why the why behind the rules, mm -hmm. like sleep this way, here are the sleep habit rules or the sleep hygiene rules, or this is why you drink the water, or this is why you need to eat healthy, all these different, this is how exercise helps you. People comply more when they actually understand why they're being told to limit electronics. Absolutely. Not smoke weed before they're 25. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. Yes. And, and so it helps us overcome things. And so many times we're dealing with anxiety. And, and with anxiety, you're seeking control. You feel out of control and you need control over something. So our routines, our patterns are something we can take control over. Mm. And you can see results, maybe not as quickly as medications if they're given in the right way, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. But that's something that we can do. And so I think that offering people that are struggling with anxiety, you know, the reasons behind why you would do this. Mm -hmm. then it's very, very powerful to help engage them. Yes. And the very reason you as a pediatrician probably understand, don't just yell at kids and teenagers and spout out rules, mm -hmm. help them understand why those Absolutely. are healthy and best for them. Absolutely. Especially the adolescents, the teenagers, their developmental task is at that time is separating from their parents. Mm. And so just by nature, what their parents tell them to do, they're not going to do. Mm. So sometimes just having them come into an office like yours or like mine, um, we start that conversation. And it's somebody else giving them the information. Mm -hmm. And just because of the developmental level, they may not be open to hearing it from their parents. They're trying to push away yes, from their parents. But they hear it from someone they develop a relationship with and they, they're motivated because you give them a reason why. Mm -hmm. And then they start making the changes on their own. Mm. Yeah, I had a powerful experience with that 
six months ago with about a 15 year old who was sleeping terribly. And she was, she started by telling me she was only sleeping from like 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. then going to school. And I was completely horrified and worried. And then I found out she was taking a three hour nap after school every day. And that's when I went into some of the sleep habits and the, the explanations, which I'm sure you could do a really good job of explaining the why behind it. And it was amazing how quickly she changed. I mean, once she understood yes. the science behind it, yes. she made a drastic change and her mood really started improving quite a bit. Absolutely. The Arcadian rhythms are so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I on my kind of woo-woo side, um, I really like to look at cycles and you know mm-hmm. the earth has cycles and we have cycles as humans and so mm-hmm. we can we want to work with those cycles instead of working against them why would we make it harder on ourselves mm-hmm. but we've got to be able to step away from how we feel because when you come home from school you're exhausted and what you know to do is to take a nap and so you take a nap and then the result of that is not going to bed till 3 a.m and then waking up at 7 and starting all over again. Mm-hmm. So it's beginning to, to go back to and say, okay, so what are you, what is it that's happening at 3 p.m.? And what are some alternative things we could do to be able to step away from that nap? Mm-hmm. Would it be possible when you get home to go on a run? To, and that would boost up the serotonin, that would boost up the dopamine, and it would give you maybe enough energy to get through the day. That's not for everybody. Treat it like jet lag. Absolutely. Just a couple days of exhaustion, skipping the nap, then you will be able to sleep at 11 or 12 instead of 3 a.m. And I use a lot of, um, our society has a lot of all or nothing. Mm. And so we're either going full force or we're doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have a middle ground. And so if you've been at school all day until 3 and you've been go, 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 then you want to back off and do nothing. So I talk a lot about active rest and Mm. how do you learn to rest without checking out? So being Mm. on a screen is typically checking out. Sleeping is checking out. However, if you can go on a mindful walk, if you can use adult coloring, if Mm. you play an instrument or just listen to music uh, and just take the time to do a short meditation, all of those things are active rest. And so you're teaching your brain how to be in that space between, the space mm. between overdoing and not doing anything at all. And our mm. brain needs to learn that because it, it's not something that we're that's reinforced as a society. We don't do enough of mm-hmm. active rest. No. It's either all active or all rest, yes. but not enough in between. Yes. Interesting. I don't know that I've heard of active rest very much. That's I think I really, might have made it up. Wow. But like you know, that. we don't, and none of us make anything up. The, all, all the things are out there and we just grasp onto them and pull onto them. So, That's you know, funny. you do the same thing. You have some great stuff that I've stolen now too. So. <laughs> well, I sometimes think I have this great idea and then I read it in a book later and I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, I guess I'm not the only one that came to that epiphany. So, but all maybe, of that humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but active rest, that's great. I'm going to have to steal that. That's really neat. Um, well, so you have said some really neat things about the brain as trying to help us Mm -hmm. and trying to regulate us and give us feedback and respond to the cues. Can you talk more about your, you called it a compensatory system. I feel like we all moved, I, I, you know, woo woo again, but I feel like we all moved toward good. 
Mm-hmm. I, I feel like everything is moving towards positive and sometimes we get in the way of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that our brain is there to help us move. It wants, it wants to be in that place of, of efficiency, of feeling good. It wants to be in a good place. Mm-hmm. So outside things happen. We have the experiences in our lives. And so our brain adapts and it learns. It's, it's active and it learns how to navigate those things. And then we set patterns in place. So we have these patterns that our brain has learned and it's learned it based on the experiences that we have and trying to be at homeostasis, trying mm-hmm. to be in, in the most efficient state. Equilibrium yeah. and calm and regulation. Yes, Yes, exactly. Instead of dysregulation. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we we think about, you know, early on when we talked about the brain, we talked about left brain and right brain, um, which was very simple. You know, one's analyzing, one's artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, then we started talking about the lobes of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so the frontal lobe, and we all know that it has to do with aggression. It has to do with executive function. It has to do with some social stuff. Um, and then we go to the temporal lobes that have to do with auditory and, and some of our emotional processing there too. Um, the parietal lobe, with how we are in space, um, mm-hmm. having to do with anxiety, having to do with how we we process things. Um, a lot of a lot of disassociation stuff comes out of the parietal lobe, mm. the occipital lobe, the cortex, um, the visual cortex. So how we see things. So all of these different areas of the brain are doing very specific things. Then we learn more. Mm. And it's not so much about this area of the brain or that area of the brain that's 100% responsible for something. We have neural networks. Mm. So these networks are, how does the frontal lobe work with the parietal lobe? So if you're disassociated, how do you bring yourself back in with your frontal lobe? Mm. So we have attention networks that are how these patterns play out. And so you mentioned neuroplasticity in our first meeting, and Mm -hmm. I love neuroplasticity. That's why neurofeedback works Mm. is because we have these patterns, but they're not stuck. Mm -hmm. And I think that so many times people are just like, this is who I am and my brain's stuck. And this is, this is just who I am. No, this is what your brain's learned and we can learn differently. Our brain can still sprout new buds. And I can't remember, I was in a presentation of some sort and it was amazing. They showed basically, I guess a brain map, kind of like your, the work that you've done. And they showed this little, you could see a little pulsating end of like, I don't know what you'd call it, but the neuron or the -hmm. the wiring. And suddenly you just saw this new little bud sprout. And it was amazing yes. to see that. I mean, yes. is that what you, what kinds of stuff can you give us a primitive, understandable uh, description of what the EEG looks mm-hmm. like or what you, what you learn sure. from those? So the, the electrodes are, are placed over the different lobes of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you measure the energy that's coming off of that. We measure it in two states. We measure it with eyes open and with eyes closed because mm. it gives us two different pieces of information. Eyes closed tells you what the resting state of the brain is. Mm. So again, why sleep is so important. That's how the brain is at rest. Wow. And then eyes open is what is it doing when it's trying to function? So somebody whose brain is very, very active when their eyes are closed is never resting. Mm. And so you can go in and train Mm -hmm. to be able to rest when the eyes are closed. So it's very helpful for sleep. Mm. Um, 
the the QEG, and I do want to clarify that, that QEGs, there's a lot of information on them and mm-hmm. um, they're really neat to look at, but they're not as well established scientifically mm-hmm. as the EEG itself. Okay. So it's a very loose understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't look at a map and say, hey, this is my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you that information. It just mm-hmm. kind of helps you piece together your story and learn how your how your brain is behaving energetically. Mm. And then you can kind of learn something from that. But you can't look at a brain map and say, oh, this is what's wrong. This is a diagnosis. Right. Um, it's just a tool. It's a tool, but you can see where the energy is. So if I look at a brain map and all of the energy is, you know, there's no energy in in the parietal lobe at all. Hmm. So they have no idea where they are in space and Mm -hmm. completely just walking around oblivious. Mm. And then you've got tons and tons of energy in the frontal lobe. Well, they're doing that to compensate for what's happening in the parietal lobe. Mm. So you want the activity to be more evenly distributed more between all the lobes. Mm-hmm. And then you relate that to the function. And so you may be able to train that um, with the neurofeedback training. And if you see functional improvements, there's no need to look at another map. That was your goal. Mm. It's just amazing. It's such a complex and brilliant system. And I do feel like if more people realized your brain is trying to help you mm-hmm. and your nervous system, mm-hmm. one of the most frequent ways that I use that thinking is with panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've had some really good success working with panic disorder over the years and just helping people try to understand that your and, and please, I would love for you to correct any of this. I try to use the best analogies I can without being a medical doctor, yeah. but I will talk about things like your brain doesn't know if, if you're sending it messages that there's a, a panic situation because you are in a social situation that triggers panic, or you're just out mm-hmm. of the blue having, you know, shortness of breath and hyperventilating and racing heart and all that stuff. Um, that your brain is in a fight or flight kind of fight, flight or freeze. And your brain doesn't know if the things that triggered you are real or not. Mm -hmm. And I compare it to a dream. You know, when you wake up from a dream, you're having a lot of the same symptoms you would be having if you were in that actual situation for real. So when you have panic attacks, your body is like treating it like there's a saber toothed tiger or Mm -hmm. a bear there. And I think that that diffuses some of the fear when they understand you're accidentally sending your brain a message that you're in a really dangerous Mm -hmm. situation. And so it's giving you this huge rush of all the adrenaline or the racing heart and and the ability to run, you know? And so that somehow seems to really lower people's anxiety and fear because a lot of people feel like they're going to die when they Mm -hmm. have a panic attack or they're going crazy and they just don't know what's happening. It feels completely out of their control. And I'll give you one more quick thing about this. And then I, I would love to hear the way you talk about this as well. But I remember a college student like literally about 20 years ago telling me that he had had a panic attack in all these random different situations mm-hmm. and he felt like there was no rhyme or reason to the situation. Yep. And uh, 
you'll see the connection as soon as I say it. He said, I had a panic attack when I was angry at some friends. Mm -hmm. I had a panic attack when I was excited talking about spring break, Mm -hmm. had a panic attack when I was kissing my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and I had a panic attack when I was nervous about something. And he said, there's just no rhyme or reason. It's happening in all different states. It's all excitement. Yes. It's all excitement and it's all the same. And that's what I talk about all the time, how anxiety and anger, it's all just a feeling. And I heard you talk about it on your podcast about is this and and I learned it from the theater center when when Mm. one of my kids was was doing plays and was nervous and they're like you're just excited yeah excitement and anxiety feel very similar and it's how you think about it so once you one recognize that feeling my heart rate's going up Mm -hmm. um I'm having a hard time breathing and being able to reassure that okay I'm safe Mm -hmm. so I'm safe And then being able to look and I ask people, stop and ask yourself, is this a real tiger or is this a paper tiger? Mm. Because the anxiety is there for a reason. And if it's a real tiger, you need to proceed. And it's like, I know what's happening. Yes. demystifies the process. So it's not so scary and out of control. Yeah. And then you learn to take the deep breaths, which pushes on the vagus nerve. It brings the heart rate down. So as the body responds and it starts to calm, then the mind can calm as well. Mm. So we can go both ways. We can calm the body to calm the mind, or we can calm the mind to calm the body. Mm. So cool. Well, So another favorite example that I would love for you to comment on is when I have, I'll compare and contrast two client examples. Mm -hmm. So I had a guy, young man in his early twenties, five, six years ago I was working with, and he said, I feel like there is something wrong with me. And and I think he felt like it was mostly depression. Mm -hmm. He said, but I know I have a lot of bad habits. And you and I were talking about one of my favorite handouts called Developing Stress Muscles. I love it. Talks about all these great habits. And he said, before I go pursue medication, I want to try to do as many of these good habits as I can. What a great client to have. I know. I was so happy. (laughs) What a great client. I know. He really did that on his own. I mean, I've encouraged people to do things like that, but he really came to that on his own. Like, I don't want to jump the gun because he intuitively understood, I think, the body's compensatory system Mm -hmm. or the brains Mm -hmm. and like you know you're not supposed to be functioning super well if you're not taking good care of yourself that's normal your body's trying to give you some feedback like yes i'm not doing so well because you're not treating me so exactly so he said i'm going to exercise and i've talked to him and many many of my clients about the most important supplements that I've heard Mm -hmm. aid in your mental health. And you and I can talk about that later. So he was exercising more, limiting alcohol, drinking more water and, uh, you know, limiting sugar and trying to like be more social and all the healthy stuff, meditation, laughing, you know, all the things that we see on this stress muscles list. And he did that for about two months and he came back and he said, I'm really not still feeling great. He said, I'm feeling better, but I do think there must be something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he did, he went and consulted a psychiatrist, but then to contrast that I had another woman who was in her early thirties and I did this very, uh, list of, you know, the stress muscles list with her. And she was one of those, I was really shocked, but in a sense of going, this is kind of good news. 
because there's so many things you could change that might make you feel better. Right. So don't just go take an antidepressant. You're not supposed to be feeling great. Right. When she never exercised, she hardly ever drank water. She was eating Cheez-Its for lunch almost every day, Mm -hmm. skipping a lot of dinners, just drinking alcohol, hardly had any friends. I think I already said she never exercised. But the stuff about limiting sugar and having spiritual meditative practices Mm -hmm. and laughing as often as possible and having hobbies, she was kind of low on all these 20 healthy habits. So in her case, it's like she may have had a really good turnaround. And of course, I don't think she stuck with therapy long for me to know. She made a few changes, but she kind of dropped out of therapy. So. And we have symptoms for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And so it may be our patterns. It may be our exposures and it may be chemical. Mm -hmm. And if it's chemical, sometimes it does take that medication shift. So that's why in my practice, I think it's really important to talk about both Mm -hmm. because of the two patients that you described. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I would approach both of those patients very differently Mm -hmm. because one has already done all of the things Mm -hmm. and has kind of ruled all of those things out. the other one has not. So I bring the other things up first. But we also have to consider that medication can kind of be a, a, a jump start. Mm. So when you take a list like this from somebody who is depressed, then it can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I'll start a medication to jumpstart them to help the depression get over and then say, hey, let's pick one of these things because it's really overwhelming to try to change everything else at once. Mm -hmm. And I want to set you up for success, not for failure. So Mm -hmm. what is the one thing on this list that you think you could work on? And that's going to help us know that you're making progress. Mm -hmm. So we can combine the medications and then the non-pharmacologic tools together small goals and it can impact the human more Mm -hmm. instead of treating the diagnosis that's a great point because when someone is depressed Mm -hmm. you know it's we know that motivation is is very common and Mm -hmm. fatigue is very common Mm -hmm. and we often say everything's an effort when you're depressed so telling someone who's very depressed start exercising a few times a week and cooking healthy meals and inviting people out to lunch, that's overwhelming. It's way too yeah. much. And they start to self-deprecate more. Yes. The shame and the yes. guilt. And so really, and that's what we look for is that shame and that guilt and, you know, having thoughts of not wanting to be here. And when we really get to that point is when I feel like, okay, let's throw a medication in to kind of shift this, but what can we do to support it so that maybe we'll get to a point where we can change those mm-hmm. patterns and medicated, we can create new patterns and then maybe come off the medicines at some point when we're stable and maintain the patterns that can support the brain further. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to a client who just last week said this to me? She said, it bothers me that I have to take a medication to f- be normal. Um, I, I talk, uh, typically there's some trauma back there. Mm. And so I'm, I'm really big on the experiences and how has your brain learned to compensate? And so the same way we talked about the whys with teenagers and understanding why you need to make these changes, understanding trauma, not as an excuse or to be a victim, Mm -hmm. but to give compassion Mm. 
She has had a huge amount of trauma, by the way. So right. you're spot on with that. And so really going back and, and, and mirroring that compassion and saying, wow, your brain went through so much. And these are the patterns it learned. And so these are the patterns that were in place for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't it take something a little bit extra to learn new patterns mm-hmm. and celebrate the non-medicine stuff you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I often comment on the double standard that people unconsciously have. They don't think twice about needing iron if they're low on iron, mm-hmm. you know, or anemic. And they don't think twice about using an inhaler if they mm-hmm. have asthma or taking Benadryl if they have allergies. But somehow there's this weird shame or double standard about, yep. I in their mind, they say, I have to take an antidepressant to be a happy person. Yes. And it's like, well, you know, if you're low on these chemicals, just like you might be low on iron, absolutely, we're just trying to get your chemicals on the right level. Absolutely. Because you're not really, it's not that you can't be yourself when you're low on iron. It would be like calling someone who's anemic lazy. Right. No. and, And a lot of it is, is tied up in the guilt. Mm-hmm. And so depression has guilt along with it mm-hmm. and anxiety has perfection along with it. And so those things make it hard for people to take medicines to maintain their mental health mm-hmm. is because they have guilt about having to do it. Yeah. It's like they equate it with their personality, mm-hmm. like, with their identity. Yeah. This is who I am. And that's why I step away from diagnosis mm-hmm. is to say, this is not who you are. You're, you're a human being with human experiences that your brain has learned from. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now is a product of that. And how do we use the different tools in our toolbox, be it therapy, be it medicine, be it routine changes, be it exercise to, to make you the best you can be. Mm. So you reframe it in a sense that part of your system or your engine, if you want to call mm-hmm. your brain sort of like the engine or, and I like to call it a computer, which some of what you were saying reminded me of that mm-hmm. too, is part of the computer is down or misfiring. Yes. And it's not so much about you are a depressed person or you have this diagnosis. I mean, sometimes we do need to sort of label it so that, you mm-hmm. know, there's a For framework and yeah, understanding, but there's some feedback coming from your brain and your body that's letting us know that there's something that needs to be tweaked a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe to get you off to the right start. And then you can start to build on that yes. when you're less anxious or less depressed. And then you may not need the medication yes. long term. Yes. And I talk about messages a lot mm. and how our bodies give us messages. Mm. And that's how I transitioned from medical to psych mm. is because I really recognized when I was seeing people in the medical office, especially for headaches and stomach aches, you know, I'd, I'd ask the standard question. So when do you have headaches? Oh, it's every time I talk to my mother. Mm. Okay, so why am I going to manage this as a medication issue when there's obviously something going on there that's driving that? Mm-hmm. And and chronic stress and what we've learned about trauma and adverse childhood experiences and how they relate to our physical health. And we look at the array of illnesses that people are dealing with and and it's related. And so I really felt like I could make a bigger difference in people's physical health by impacting their mental health. Mm. So I do mental health to impact physical health. 
And it was easier for me to do that from a psych office than from a medical office. Wow. Yeah. And the, the toll that stress takes on your immune system oh. and your mental health. But again, for those that like control, I mean, this is kind of a funny, ironic way to use it is to say, if you want more control over your life, take better care of yourself. Absolutely. I say it all the time. Really? Uh, especially to kids. I mean, adolescents mm -hmm. that are bucking their parents. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you're seeking control. Mm hmm gain control over yourself, mm -hmm. and then it's going to move outward. Yeah. And in the end, truly, we are the only ones who can control ourselves. And it's the only thing we're in control of. Yet your parents are not going to stand over you and make sure you're sleeping. No. How would they even know? No. I mean, your parents can't stand over you and make you do homework. They can't, they can try to make you eat, but you know, no. kids will spit food out and they do, they can even do whatever they want. Even if you're, you're mm -hmm. a hovering, you know, helicopter parent, but we learned that the hard way. Didn't yeah. We? But the rebel inside of them, that's trying to own their own life and separate that might, it, I think that can feel pretty good to say in the end, you have to choose this for yourself and only you can. Mm -hmm. And then looking back and saying, okay, so I, I had a panic attack this day. Okay. So tell me about that day. Mm -hmm. What did you eat? How much did you slept that day? Okay. So is, is do you think that could be related? Mm. And, and with nutrition, you think about a panic attack or you think about attention. And if you go all day without eating and your blood sugar bottoms out, that feels a whole lot like panic mm -hmm. or like not being able to pay attention. So there's no way we can address anxiety or ADHD until we're eating at routine right intervals and we're giving our body and our brains what they need. That reminds me of the hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Love that. <laughs> Love that. I know. I, I know we need to have a better acronym that's more even comprehensive, but it's sort of like in the same way you look at why is this baby crying? And I think a lot of adults aren't good at that. You know, We are babies crying. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's exactly what we are. We are. But yeah, like what's happening? Like, am I lonely? Am I angry? Am I hungry? Am mm -hmm. I stressed? You know, how have I eaten? How did I sleep? Oh. Has anything been upsetting me? And I noticed as you said that you ask yourself mm. and that's the key is not somebody else asking them, but then learning to ask themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we teach. Mm -hmm. We don't teach. We don't teach to pay attention to ourselves and to slow down enough mm -hmm. that all or nothing to really recognize what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes when we feel something, we react to it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a skill to learn to be able to slow down, to know what's happening in your body and to know what to do with that. Mm. Yeah, I'm still trying to perfect an analogy along those lines because sometimes I call it sort of scanning and I'm mm -hmm. like, let's just scan yourself. And, and then maybe if you imagine going through airport security, you go under that scanner, mm -hmm. but some, some version, if you think of a good one, let me know, but it's sort of like, just stop and take like an internal inventory mm -hmm. of what's going on with me today with, with girls, I ask them, are you PMSing? Yes. Are you on your period? Or, you know, did you eat enough? I've noticed some really, you know, mood issues for myself. Some days when I just didn't eat enough, it wasn't even on purpose. Mm -hmm. I would just think, Oh, those leftover beans from yesterday, right. probably enough to hold me till six o'clock. And then I get really down or, or irritated yes. or something. And I'm like, I'm just feeling really off today. And then I think, you know, maybe those 300 calorie beans, 
things were not enough to get me through. Absolutely. And that's what learning to pay attention to ourselves and be mm -hmm. mindful. And that's what, especially with ADHD, a lot of times kids aren't eating. Mm -hmm. And and you start looking at it, they didn't, they're not paying enough attention to themselves mm -hmm. to be able to eat. Mm -hmm. So eating is something that as a society, I mean, we kind of have this breakfast, lunch, dinner played out. So one of the things that I'll try to get kids to do is to start paying attention to the mealtimes. And so then mm -hmm. they're teaching their brain to pay attention to when it's time to eat. Set a timer on your phone. Wow. And so just by doing that, that can be a, a low level medication, quote unquote, mm -hmm. itself, because you're bringing in those non-pharmacologic things to help learn how to pay attention. I love your conceptualization of the word medication. And in fact, while we're talking, I'm going to turn my phone back on and look at the definition of medicine. Ooh, that's interesting. Or medication, because I love the way you view it as you know, in a sense, the way you described it is anything that helps you get healthier mm -hmm. can be viewed like medication. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be a prescription or a supplement. It can be just the water, the right. sleep. And I think I started recognizing that as I was doing neurofeedback, mm -hmm. because with, with the neurofeedback, it would, people, people have an experience. Mm hmm. I lost my train of thought. And that <laughs> happens quite a bit. Oh, let's see. Well, maybe it's because my 12 year old just walked through the room. No, it's OK. Um, I love 12 year olds. <laughs> it's like squirrel. There's a, there's a child walking. Through see, it's, it's living proof of the ADHD. <laughs> um, OK, so we were talking about medicine. I know neurofeedback. Us there. So so I would say that, you know, people would be like, what about what? What about when my neurofeedback training is done? Life is your neurofeedback training mm. because we're learning patterns mm -hmm. and we're affecting neuroplasticity and all of the experiences we have and all of the things that we do are impacting that. Mm -hmm. So neurofeedback is just one way to do that. So right. doing your doing your hobby, paying attention and learning a new skill is mm -hmm. teaching your brain a new pathway, mm. learning to eat at regular intervals is learning a new pathway. You know, and that makes me think of the topic of trauma, how, you know, we spend our whole lives collecting data mm -hmm. and little tiny points of little things like every time I do this, this happens. Mm -hmm. Or every time I compliment my mother, it, it makes her smile and, and you're gathering all. But when you have trauma, it's a huge like let's just say one really traumatic thing there can be recurring trauma yes. that's you know very um, intense and then there can be small traumas but when you look at big trauma one event like a car accident yep. or something that is this huge 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 piece of data that changes and and this is i'd love for you to talk a little bit about that with your eeg experience or your qeeg and the neuro stuff um but yeah that there's suddenly this huge impression that's like seared on your brain, like a tattoo on yes. your brain. So do, did you use the um, neurofeedback a lot for trauma? Oh, absolutely. And so the big thing I would see there is the two kind of responses. And, and the response is either you hyperstimulate and you fight 
Mm -hmm. So that same out of the amygdala that you're fight, 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 fight. So in that brain, you're going to see a lot of beta waves. And the beta Mm -hmm. waves are the fast waves that are engaged, that are trying to pay attention and trying to control. And so this is the anxiety piece of trauma. And that if I'm not in control, the only way I'm comfortable is, is if my brain is go, 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 go. The other end of the spectrum would be somebody who theta comes in to protect them. Mm -hmm. And so the theta waves are these like twilight waves and they're really creative. Um, Mm. They're really restful. They're dissociative. And so somebody else's brain, depending on their situation and, and the way that they need to respond to the trauma, it learns to just shut down and to go into this creative space. That's the theta. That's the theta. And so naturally that compensatory thing is, is that theta and beta balance each other. And so if you have too much beta, your theta kicks in. If you have too much theta, your beta kicks in. Hmm. And so they balance each other out. And that's the classic EEG presentation of ADHD. Wow. So the trauma, and that's how I began to recognize ADHD as sort of Overfunction and disassociation and trauma. And there's a lot of overlaps. And, and it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, we're dealing with the same process. That's fascinating. So the brain waves, you can see that that's yeah. factual, but it manifests like ADHD or different, yes. you know, like dissociation. Yep. That is just mind blowing. And you can kind of see that on the map and you can see what people are doing with their eyes opened or with their eyes closed. And So the beta waves are the overactive waves like anxiety that the fight part of the fight or flight. And then would you consider the theta kind of like the flight? A little bit. Simplistic. Yeah. Just kind of dissociating, restful. Yeah. And I mean, and they're healthy, Mm -hmm. but we, we make a judgment. And we're like, oh, I can't pay attention. I've got too much theta. No, theta is healthy. I want you to bring your theta in, but I want you to bring it in at the right time. And that's where we come back to paying attention to yourself. And so as somebody's doing neurofeedback mm-hmm. and their brain is in, in the the software is, you know, evaluating what brainwave they're in and giving them feedback so that they can know, okay, this is what it feels like when my beta is driving. Mm-hmm. This is what it feels like when my theta is driving. Mm. So, okay, how do I pull in my beta when I'm using too much theta? Mm. How do I pull in my theta when I'm using too much beta? To make them equally yeah. operating and about to the be same more functional. level? Wow. So how do ADHD people do that again? With, oh, oh, so in the frontal lobe with, you know, the traditional EEG presentation of ADHD, which is the most validated um, in the science, hmm. um, is this beta-theta ratio. And so you have more beta, the, the beta and the theta are off. And so as kids, as, as we, our brain develops, we have more theta anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's why ADHD presents in childhood hmm. um, is because there's more theta. And, and some kids outgrow it. Some kids don't. The ones who outgrow it, it's because the theta is just developmental and then they grow into it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they have too much theta when they're younger mm-hmm. and not enough beta? Um, and well, they have the theta is low, but then they want to be able to function and they want to be able to do things. So they hyperstimulate. So they create more beta to overcome the theta. So there's your hyperactivity. 
So they do things to stimulate their brain so that they can be more active. So think about your patient that is only sleeping from three to seven. Mm -hmm. They're thriving on hyperstimulating. They're Mm -hmm. so tired and they've got these low theta waves because they're tired. Mm -hmm. And so they're having to double up their beta waves just to be able to pay attention. So they're exhausted when Mm -hmm. they get home. And that is the very reason why it makes me so sad when people resort to substances and chemicals, drugs, alcohol, Mm to or any kind of unhealthy addiction i guess right. most addictions are unhealthy by by nature but you know they jump to those solutions first instead mm-hmm. of solutions that are healthy and that could serve them well in the long right. run right absolutely and i mean and it comes back to the same thing what what purpose is a behavior serving what purpose is the substance serving what what is it that you're medicating what what state is it that you're trying to achieve i did neurofeedback feedback with a gentleman who used cocaine regularly Mm -hmm. and and he made the recognition he's like wow after i do this i kind of feel because he could get himself he could and i was like okay so let's make a choice are you going to spend your money on cocaine or are you going to spend your money on neurofeedback and that's the fascinating but heartbreaking piece of this is a lot of these people that gravitate towards unhealthy or illegal substances are there there's really a method to their madness like, absolutely there is something they're deficient in absolutely so the same way as given the adolescent the why if you can come back and you can find the compassion for that person who's using substances and say hey yeah something happened to you mm-hmm. and your brain didn't know how to deal with it mm-hmm. and so you've used this in this way to help that What's your motivation to maybe try something different? Could we potentially do this and try this instead? And even if you don't do it every time, what if you just replaced a quarter of the time you're using with trying something else? Right. And then slowly build. So they know that intuitively that there's something missing Mm -hmm. and they want to fix it themselves in the quickest, you know, unhealthiest way possible. But then they do so much damage to their brain chemistry unknowingly. But so that's where the compassion and the non-judgment could, you know, really, really be so important is they're probably already kind of hating themselves. Absolutely. And feeling guilty and ashamed. And to just say, listen, you're on the right track in the sense of Mm -hmm. you need an upper to something's missing or you need something to calm you down because you're so anxious. You are on the right track, but you're not doing it in a healthy way and you're damaging your brain. Right. And your health. Right. So just let's find an actual doctor recommended or healthy way. Totally. Totally. That empowers you. Wow. Yeah, that I. I just think all of that neurofeedback stuff is just amazing. And I remember, you know, thinking about biofeedback, you know, it doesn't seem to be quite as popular anymore, Mm -hmm. but just for people to see the evidence, this is what happens when you take some deep breaths. Yes. This is what happens when you imagine your favorite place or you practice mindfulness, look at what's happening to your blood pressure and your heart rate and your respirations. It's very Again, it kind it's of empowering. Goes, it is empowering. And and that's what that's what when I was doing neurofeedback and somebody would be sitting in my office and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. I feel so much better. My my response was always, I am not doing a thing. 
everything that is happening in this office is you. Mm-hmm. You're driving this. You're teaching your brain to behave in a different pattern. And so it's empowering that instead of something from the outside mm. fixing them, it's them doing it themselves. An and same thing with routine mechanism. changes. Mm-hmm. And that's why with the neurofeedback, I wanted somebody's brain to be as healthy as it could. So mm-hmm. they need to be eating and getting all of their omegas. They need to be sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be exercising so that all of that stuff's happening so that the neurofeedback was was efficient. And mm-hmm. the opposite way, as we're doing the neurofeedback and we're promoting new patterns, it's a great time to try something new because it may be easier to do it while we're adapting the brain with the neurofeedback. Mm. So cool. Well, so while you're mentioning some of the really important supplements, what are your favorite supplements? You know what? I go with the exact ones that you go with. Okay. (laughs) Those are the ones that I have found that are the most supported in the literature. Um, That the vitamin D for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally agree. I use it in the the winter time, Mm -hmm. especially because of the immune response. I heard 70% of people are low on vitamin D. I I believe it. I believe it. Um, B12. Um, Mm -hmm. For sure, for the energy, the vegetarians, without a doubt, Mm -hmm. Um, the omega fatty acids, um, both depression and ADHD are very well supported. Mm -hmm. Um, Magnesium, especially with for sleep Mm -hmm. or for anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one that I use is N-acetylcysteine. And that is, it's actually got some really good science behind it with trichotillomania and Mm. compulsive behaviors. So skin picking, hair pulling, some of that kind of obsessive stuff, um, and acetylcysteine can help to balance that out. Is that A-C-E-T-Y-L? N-A-C, NAC. N-A-C. Make it easy. NAC. Oh, okay. So that's the short, you can find it for yes. N-acetyl. Okay. And it, yep. that's good. Yep. Okay. That's And then you mentioned know. iron and iron is necessary for dopamine. So mm. if you're anemic, then you're not getting enough dopamine. I did not know that. So that's a big contributor as well. Um, also folic acid. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody has that mutation where they don't convert the folic acid to the active ingredient methylfolate, yes. then that impacts dopamine again. And that's because some people's body cannot break down vitamin B? Um, No, this is a genetic mutation. Okay. So that, that, and so they can't convert, they don't have the enzyme to convert the folic acid to the methylfolate, which is usable. So instead you give those individuals methylfolate Mm -hmm. and that's a really important component. And so called Deplin, right? It, that so that's medical nutrition okay. and it was a pharmaceutical that was developed that is methylfolate okay and um, they went through the FDA process to get it approved as an antidepressant and mm. it was actually one of the things that after SSRIs made the biggest impact mm. at one point and so um, yeah so methylfolate and NAC are the two that I would I would add to that's good to know Um, So can you explain why omega-3s help or how they work? Very simply put, because I'm not a physician, I am am a nurse and Mm -hmm. I, I, I value the ability to speak (laughs) the lay language. Yes. Um, The brain thrives on fat. Uh The brain is made of fat. It thrives on fat. It needs fat. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the omega-3s. 
Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I make things up and I tell people, I'm, I'm like, here's the analogy I made up. And I say, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is what a doctor would say, but in my mind that I've, I've heard that the omega threes are really healthy for heart and mm-hmm. brain health. And so I think of it as greasing the veins and the okay. arteries and like you would oil in a car. How does a car run without yeah. oil? And I don't know if that's the, an accurate way to put it, but that helps me visualize yeah. how it might work, yeah. but I don't really know. I think it's probably decreasing inflammation okay. is, is where it's coming from. And that's the overlap. Um, would be my guess. Yeah. I'd have to do some more reading on that. Yeah. I would guess it's the inflammation and the inflammatory components huge Mm -hmm. and stress creates more inflammation Mm -hmm. and we're finding more links between inflammation and depression every day. Mm. Wow. 